bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Hey everyone, and thank you for joining me here at the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski. The Recovery Executive Podcast is designed for business leaders within the addiction treatment space, executive directors, owners, um, even people on the investment end if they're looking for ways to better run the centers that they have purchased. The entire idea is to make sure that you're not just building a clinical program, but you're scaling or building scalable operations around it. Grow your business, grow the number of people that you help, the people that you serve. Circle Social Inc. brings this podcast to you. They're our main sponsor, obviously, because it is my company. (laughs) So I get to sponsor the podcast. Circle Social Inc. is a strategic marketing and growth firm for addiction treatment and behavioral health centers. We help out with the three legs of the stool. So business development, inbound, being SEO, AdWords, your website, as well as multimedia outbound. That could be Facebook, it could be supporting with radio, billboards, anything and everything that's gonna drive admissions to your center and then help you convert those inquiries into admissions. You can find out more about Circle Social Inc. at their website, circlesocialinc.com. Okay, so today we are speaking with Matt Stevens. He's one of the co-founders of Oliva. They are a strategic EMR within the addiction treatment space, specifically designed for it. And as you'll hear Matt talk about what they do, they provide a more unique solution. So a lot of EMRs out there are on this file cabinet system. They kind of modeled what people did with paper. Matt and his team said, hey, you know what, we can build something more innovative, more helpful, um, that actually provides a better solution than just transferring the slow routines of the paper-based systems that were slow and cumbersome then, they're still slow and cumbersome when they're online or digital, and so how can we make that better? Uh, We also get into some of the implementation phases, so, you know, Getting moving to an EMR or bringing on a new EMR is a huge challenge. So how do you make sure you choose the right one? How do you make sure your team is uh, aligned and that they're ready to move forward with it? How long is it going to take? What compliance issues do you have to hit, look at from a HIPAA or high tech compliance standpoint? All these things. So it's really great to have Matt on because honestly, EMRs are pretty much outside my wheelhouse. You know, we don't do a lot with those. Um, from my company's end. So I was very happy to have Matt being willing to come on and share some of his expertise there. Uh, with that, let's jump into the conversation. Hey Matt, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company? Yeah, for sure. Um, been in techno- in the technology field in healthcare for uh, almost 10 years. Uh, my business partner and I started a software company in the home healthcare space where we helped uh, solve uh, efficiency and, and automation, automation problems uh, with senior care as it related to nursing and non-medical care. Uh, and so we worked there uh, for around five years and, um, and then sold that business to a larger tech firm in that, in that same space. And then we're working for that large tech firm, you know, hating, <laughs> hating working for the man and uh, wanted to get back to startups and, and, and solving problems and creating change in the world and kind of came across uh, the, the addiction and, and mental health space 
through uh, a friend's son who overdosed a couple days out of treatment and we're with him and his family in the hospital kind of trying to decide, you know, what they're going to do and what the options were. And that's where we introduced the whole space and, uh, you know, started learning about it more and more and, and saw, you know, some of the, the, the problems and, and things that were happening in this space and, and thought maybe we could do, do some good. So that's kind of what brought us here. We've been, we've been kind of working on this project for, uh, for almost three years. Okay. So, you know, EMRs are pretty essential to running a treatment center or behavioral health center. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, you saw that there were some of these issues in the field, gaps maybe that you could fill, but what are the particular problems that one in EMR, sorry, EMR solves and two, like specifically what problems were you filling in that weren't already um, provided by maybe another um, provider in the industry? Well, one of the things that intrigued us the most was what happened to our friend's son. He you know, it was a pretty quick turnaround, but we realized that there weren't that many tools for patients when they leave treatment. Uh, now, there are more, um, you know, apps that have come out uh, in the last year or two for, you know, post, post-treatment, post-care, um, alumni-type tools, uh, but there wasn't any connection with the patients while they were in care with the actual EMR and and kind of treatment they were receiving, and then there was very little connection back with the treatment center once they once they left care, and so we thought that that was a problem that was a problem uh, that that we thought you know deserved our attention, as well as this 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 thought that you know uh, treatment has worked the same for so long as, as it relates to the paper process, so you know, when you were in treatment, you know, 10 years ago, before there really were many EMR, EMR options, you would just, you know, do everything on paper, right? The, the patient's chart, you'd open the filing cabinet, you'd take out the patient chart, you'd do- document some stuff, you'd put it back in, uh, you'd open another patient chart, document some stuff. And that was the way that the EMRs, when we kind of started looking at this space, were working three years ago. And uh, thought that you know there was there there was a lot of a lot of technology that was available today that wasn't being utilized, and uh, not only during treatment but but post treatment and connecting that treatment with the patient's experience during care. And so that's kind of what we what we uh, set out to do, and 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 what I think is something that's that's missing today. Can you explain that a little bit more? What do you mean about how the EMR relates to connecting to the patient, like after care, for example? Um, because obviously most patients are not dealing with the EMR, right? So how does that connect? Yeah, totally. Well, exactly. Like they go, you go into treatment and you get seen by a therapist and you get onboarded and then you're given kind of assignments. Hey, I want you to do this, this, and this to help, you know, treat you and, 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 on your path to recovery and they'll go to group and talk about things and they go through this process, uh, you know, through detox to RTC to PHP to IOP to OP, and then they leave and it's like, okay, we'll make sure you get a sponsor and make sure you go to a 12 step meeting and that's it. Right. And so we thought, well, why isn't the patient being better? Uh, you know, millennials expect more connection with technology in everything they do. And so 
we were curious, like why, why were, you know, apps being utilized, especially at the PHP and IOP level of care when they, when they most likely have access to phones? Why, why aren't they being put in the know when they have appointments? What, what their homework is from their therapist? Why can't they have more communication with their therapist to kind of jot down stuff that, that they're feeling and thinking? And, and why aren't they getting kind of baseline surveys every day pushed to their smartphone, letting them know kind of, you know, giving them the opportunity to document, you know, hey, this is how I'm feeling. This is what my anxiety is like today. This is what my sleep was like last night. So the therapists get more up-to-date, better information when they meet with them as opposed to like, you know, well, how'd you feel last Wednesday? Well, I can't remember how I felt two hours ago, you know? And so there was that side of it. And there was also this fact that, you know, the treatment centers were having this problem where they you know, have people, especially at the IOP level of care, where they need to meet these programming requirements to be able to bill uh, effectively to insurance to get compensated for the care they're giving. And that a lot of times these patients will forget or they're not, you know, around or they forget where they're supposed to be and they're missing programming. And then the company is missing out on revenue. And then some of these companies are going under or it's becoming harder to, to manage as they grow and scale. And so we figured, hey, there's a lot here that technology can solve that is not being solved today. Um, and so that's kind of where that was brought out of. Got it, that's really interesting. So you've got an app that people are actually using, patients, guests are actually using that gets fed back into the EMR for the clinicians to look at, right? Yeah, and not only that, it's it's also, you know, for the aftercare perspective, right? So in most treat, I, I, I don't know what the statistic is currently, but, um, I would assume at least half of the treatment centers out there have some sort of maybe a uh, post-care app that they utilize and give to their, their patients. But think about this. It's your last day of treatment, Nick, and you you are about to be discharged. And they say, okay, Nick, download this app. It's called, you know, Get Better App. Uh, download this on your phone, and it'll help you with your recovery. And you're like, oh, okay. And you download this app. Like, are you ever going to open that? Maybe. Maybe once. And then that's it. It could be the best app in the world, but you're never going to use it because, you know, for the most part, you're probably going to forget about it. Well, what if you were using something during treatment that is providing you value towards your recovery while you're in treatment? How much more likely are you to use that app and to and to get value out of that app post-treatment because you already have a connection with it? Right. Yeah. That's one of the biggest mistakes we see a lot of centers make. Um, I, I would say 50% is high. I bet maybe 10% of the centers, at least that we work with, have an aftercare app. Um, and then those that do, yeah, they don't implement it while they're there, which is a big issue. They give it to them as they leave. And like you said, the, the usage rates are not very high. If you don't integrate into your lifestyle while you're in treatment, it's highly unlikely. I mean, even we've done app marketing a long time ago and your average retention rate for any app like if they don't use it within the first day, they'll almost never use it. And then even if they do use it, like it tends to be like a three month window and then they delete it from their phones. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it, you've got to keep engagement up. You've got to keep reasons for people to use it. And actually, usually there has to be some kind of follow up, whether, whether it's marketing, like a little Facebook ad that pops up or a call from an alumni coordinator, just checking in saying, hey, you know, are you using the app? How's it going? or some kind of ding that happens if they stop using it, you know, do you get a notice and then somebody follows up with them and you know, says, hey, what's going on? I noticed you stopped using the app, is everything okay? 
So you've got some definitely innovative solutions here that you're providing in the EMR. Is there anything else that you see from an EMR perspective um, that can be solved within the EMRs that's not currently being solved? Yeah, I mean, I think outcomes is a hu- is the huge next step. I would definitely say one thing that I, I see happening in the space moving forward that happened in the healthcare space was in the healthcare, the healthcare space when we entered it was very similar to how the addiction recovery space is today. It was kind of like the Wild West. Um, there wasn't a ton of uh, regulation in terms of kind of outcomes and reimbursement being tied to that. Well, what they ended up doing was they developed something called the star rating system. And they, they did, they, what they did was Medicare and Medicaid developed the star rating system for home health care centers. And you would get a rating based on your outcomes. And they would calculate outcomes based on readmission rates to hospitals for the same, for the same diagnosis or the same problem, right? So if you break your hip and then you go into the hospital and then you're discharged from the hospital and you go to a home health care agency, if you go back to the hospital for a broken hip again, then that would ding towards your readmission rate. And so what that would affect was your star rating system. So five stars are the highest. And if you had a five-star rating, it means that your readmission rate was under a certain level and that would affect your reimbursement. So you'd get the highest reimbursement of all home healthcare companies. So the five, so what happened is when they instituted this, the five-star centers started basically scooping up lower centers and turning them into the five-star centers because they were making so much money. They were, they were absolutely killing it and thriving. The four-star centers were doing very, very well and, 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 and were totally profitable and, and doing great. The three-star centers were like barely break even, like barely scraping by. Two-star, one-star centers were out of business in like three to six months. And so, or, or, or sold to one of those higher, higher. And, and it completely like upended the industry. And one of the things we did in our software in that, in, in that space was we built predictive analytics to help determine we called it risk point. And what it did was it helped determine what uh, the probability was that someone was going to readmit to the hospital. So what technology was able to solve was helping these home health, uh, you know, agencies and centers to uh, hopefully not, hopefully not miss uh, a sign that a readmission could happen. Um, and so we built these algorithms and this product around that. It was widely successful. It was the fastest growing product we ever developed. And, uh, and, and that's what I see outcomes could become in this space in the next handful of years is basically insurance and Medicare and Medicaid building some sort of, of you know, standardization of outcomes and outcomes measurements and tying that to reimbursement. And so that's where I see technology kind of moving that could really solve some problems that, you know, are definitely there now, but aren't as real because right now reimbursement isn't tied to that, but seeing kind of how that could be tied in the future and how technology is going to play a big part in, uh, in helping kind of the centers better navigate that change. That's so interesting. So we had a podcast quite a while back with Joanna Conti from a Vista research group, and she does a lot of the outcomes tracking for a number of centers. And what we saw is that a lot of providers, insurance providers are starting to track um, outcomes, right? And so if you have better outcomes, then they're willing to give you a higher reimbursement already. And so to see Medicare and Medicaid move to that, if that became a profitable model, I mean, that would be 
hugely impactful because really that's where the most of addiction lies, right? It's a Medicare Medicaid space. Um, the the PPO and the even the HMO and the private pay. It's a much smaller market overall. So that would be very interesting. That would definitely upend the industry. But at the end of the day, it's like you said, it's all good though. You know, really we need quality. We need better outcomes tracking. And, you know, in my perspective, there's always been a fear around outcomes. And that the first thing I always get asked is like, well, what, what is an outcome? How do you define it? Right. Or what is, you know, a positive outcome, but we've got to get past that. And we've just got to go with the definition and say, Hey, here's what, here's what Jayco's saying, you know, or here's what we're going to define as in our internal metric and run with it. Because as one, as a client coming in, I want to know, right, have you guys been successful or not? But two, to run a successful clinical program, which is the core of everything, you have to know if what you're doing is working. And unfortunately, not, not enough centers actually know. You know, they, they run anecdotal data saying, well, this person's been all right for a while. You know, they seem to be doing good. It's not good enough, right, to improve your rate. So... Glad to hear that that's definitely happening. Um, you mentioned briefly about some of the challenges that you've seen with centers implementing EMRs. And, you know, I always joke that the, the biggest challenge I have for my marketing company is not internally, but it's actually getting our clients to answer the phones. Like, it's unbelievable to me how hard <laughs> it is to throw inquiries that a client needs and that they're paying for and then they don't actually answer that phone or answer it appropriately. So on your end, I'm sure you probably have some similar struggles where you give them an EMR, but they're used to paper filing or they're used to something else. So can you talk through some of those operational and training challenges that someone should be prepared for as an owner that they're gonna face when they implement a new EMR? Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing you have to, you have to realize is that it starts at the top. Right. If you're going to be implementing new technology, whether it's EMR, CRM, outcomes tools, uh, you know, uh, billing, I mean, it could be anything in your program. The thing you have to realize is that change regardless is hard uh, for your employees. And a lot of times, you know, team members at a company are kind of short term. Right. This is a job. This isn't their business. Right. It's different. Um, they look at it as how is this going to affect my day to day as opposed to how is this going to affect the, the strategy of the business overall, the, the goals that we have as a company, where we're trying to get to, right? And technology could be a big part of, of helping, you know, a center get there. And so it starts with the, the, the owner and the executive leadership team being like, hey, we've made this decision for this technology. Um, and, and, he, and a lot of times, you know, even if the, the staff is involved in it, once the rubber hits the road of actually, you know, beginning that process, uh, you know, it can be hard. I mean, even bringing people off paper, which is the most inefficient way to run a center, uh, can still be hard, right? Because it's changed. Because what you got to think about it, regardless of what technology you're bringing in, today, your staff knows exactly how to do any action they need to do, hopefully, right? You know, if a client comes in, even if it's paper, I know the filing cabinet to open, I know the form to get out, I know the next form to get out, I know the papers we need to file, I know where to put those papers, Right. Um, I know exactly what to do. And so there's comfort and security around that, right? And so when you're bringing on a new process or a new technology, regardless of what it is, regardless of how much more amazing it is or how easy it is to learn or how great it is, there's always that fear of just, well, I don't know how to do it, right? And so starting that at the executive team on down of just saying, hey, we have made this decision with your input, hopefully, to move forward with this technology or this new process, whatever it might be, and there is no getting going back. You're either 
on the wagon or you're off. Make your choice and let's move forward together, right? And so having that attitude makes all the difference. Uh, and we've done it in our business too with our employees so many times. It is so helpful to have that attitude and make that firm choice and have that firm leadership going forward uh, to unify your team around something. And it makes the process so much easier. What about for, you know, the employees on the ground that are actually using the system every day? You know, is there tips that you have to make that implementation easier? Yeah, definitely. I think with, with any solution, I mean, it also, when you're evaluating solutions, this is probably even more important uh, to solve this problem beforehand, making sure you understand what the implementation is going to be like and what to expect, right? Uh, because, you know, different people do it differently. We do it a certain way, but, you know, it could be for, for certain products or certain companies, maybe it's all video or tutorial based, right? Maybe you don't ever get to talk to a live person, you know what I mean? And understanding what that is beforehand so that you're mentally prepared to go about that, right? For that transition, uh, with others, it might be, you have a direct person that you're going to talk to the whole time that you're going to know their cell phone and text back and forth with them. I think understanding what the process is going to be and what the, and understanding from the beginning to the end of what it's going to, what the process is to kind of go live with this new solution uh, is going to help you as a, as a, you know, team member to know what to expect and to move forward with that expectation with kind of more confidence. It's really all fear, right? Fear is what uh, makes any implementation of a new process difficult or hard. And if we can overcome that fear with more information and under and more data, understanding exactly what it is uh, that's going to happen and what it is that's going to make us successful, and and then be able to cultivate like a belief that that will happen, then that is what's going to drive success and excellence for your for what you're trying to achieve. What about buy-in? So you know, you mentioned that making sure that you know the people on the ground that are using the system have the buy-in, and I've always found that to be a good practice. I mean, so we will help centers implement new CRMs or new email clients and various other pieces of technology, um, and so we like to make sure that they actually are interested in using it and understanding what the benefits are. Do you have any advice around that? Uh, yeah, I mean, buy-in is super important. I mean, every you, you hopefully, I mean, it depends on the size of the organization, right? How much buy-in you can really get. Uh, but I think buy, that's where it really, what I would say, Nick, is it goes right back to the very first thing I said on, on this whole process is it comes from the leadership down, right? The leadership has set the agenda that, hey, we are moving forward with this. You know, we are, we have decided that this is the best course of action for our company you know, this is what we're doing. There's no going back, move forward. And then people just rip the bandaid and then it's better. Cause what you always got to realize for the, however long it takes, if it's a three week or a two week implementation of a new, of a new technology process, or it's a six month implementation of a new technology process, the time that you're doing the implementation is actually always a little bit harder than before, right? Even on your worst process, right? And so everybody needs to realize that that's the case and that, you know, and, and having that direction and understanding from leadership that, Hey, this is the decision we made. We're going to do this, uh, will help the team to get through those two or three weeks or the six months or whatever it is of that implementation to be successful on the other side. I mean, that's really how you get buy-in because you, it has to be established from the top, uh, be, because they're the ones with the long-term vision and the goals for the program, right? They're the ones that are setting 
kind of the vision of where we're going and what we're trying to achieve together. And it's, it's, you know, that's why you make these decisions. And what would you say people should expect for a timeline or leadership should expect? So let's say I'm a small 30 bed center um, and I'm taking on a new EMR, you know, how, what would you recommend they expect in terms of a timeline for people to get onboarded and get fairly comfortable so that they're able to use it on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's going to be totally different depending on the EMR, right? Uh, you know, most EMRs are, are kind of uh, digital, you know, filing cabinet type paper process, chart to chart to chart with tons of customization and configuration. And those onboarding processes, you know, take longer and are more, and maybe it's not, and when I say longer, you know, it's not necessarily longer in time. Like you could still do a 30, 45 day implementation for one of those. But the problem is, is it's going to take a ton of work, right? You have, you know, 40 hours a week of work across your program to do that every week for, you know, four to six weeks, right? Um, I mean, traditionally, you know, but but there are other programs that are a little bit more structured uh, that are kind of more built to a specific process-oriented approach as opposed to like a filing cabinet-oriented approach. And those are much easier to learn. And, you know, because there's not a thousand ways to do any one thing, it's there's, you know, one way to do one thing or there's two ways to do one thing. And so it's much easier to learn because it kind of forces you through a process flow. And, you know, so those could maybe be three to four weeks for an hour or two a week across your whole team, not just per person, like an hour or two for the whole team to onboard over three to four weeks and then you're live. So let's say that I'm making this decision to purchase a new EMR, you know, who would you recommend are the stakeholders in the room that are maybe doing the demos and and having this discussion to make the final decision? Yeah, great question. Depends on the size of the program. Um, I'll tell you the people that I would think are the most important. And if you don't have one of these people, that's okay. But uh, I would think the, the main important people are the program director, the clinical director, and the uh, compliance officer would be probably my three most important people that most treatment centers will have someone who's kind of in charge of those things. Um, other people that usually are involved that I think would be important could be the medical director, uh, if you have one, uh, the uh, admissions director, uh, the the UR kind of, you know, head of UR. Uh, you know, another thing that I think is actually pretty important is if you have a third-party billing company, making sure that you include the third-party billing company in one of the demos, right? Especially if they're not familiar with the EMR, making sure they see how they're going to get their work done, right? That's something I think a lot of treatment centers forget. Uh, you know, we actually make it like mandatory in our process when we're onboarding treatment centers is that if we haven't worked with the billing company, that we get to know them and show them how they're going to get what they need uh, to make them successful. That is super duper important because you, I mean, that's where your money's coming in, right? That's what's keeping your business alive so that you can keep helping people. So you need to make sure that third-party billing company, if you use one, is fully aware of the EMR, how they're going to get what they need. And they've seen what they need to know that uh, they can be successful for you. That's a really good point. I went to thought of that. I'm glad you brought that up because, right, I mean, they need to get in there and do all the reports, right? Um, for the transition, you know, there are fairly large centers with, you know, 200 beds out there that actually have not transitioned to a digital EMR, which still kind of blows my mind. Um, but, you know, maybe they'll say, hey, well, this has worked for us thus far. You know, why should we change? What would you be your answer to that? My change would be 
what are your business goals, right? Is your business goal to maintain your 200 bed center um, and, and kind of be an operator, right? If you're the owner, like if you're the owner, you're, you are paying a lot of money to micromanage those facilities because if you're on paper, you have no idea, right? You have no visibility as the executive team into what's going on unless you are opening up paper files every single day and auditing your records every single day, or you're paying someone to do that. Um, a lot of money that you trust to make sure they're doing it right, or you're going to, I mean, it is, that is going to be incredibly expensive for your business. Right. So, I mean, what, what I think if your goal is to scale, if your goal, your business goals are to scale and grow your program across, you know, 200 more beds or 400 beds or multiple facilities. And uh, I mean, there is no way you're going to be able to scale that on paper and maintain the same level of excellence and compliance that you're maintaining today. Um, and you better plan for, you know, some sort of drop off and, and not reimbursements, but in, you know, denials, right. And, and then being able to appeal those denials and win because your of your documentation, not being, you know, there because you won't have the insight. Well, I, mean, I was just going to ask about that. Do you guys have any data around, maybe you've helped some centers move from paper to digital, you know, and their documentation is such a big issue in terms of reimbursement. You know, have you seen improvements in those rates or any, any numbers you could give oh, us? Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. 30% improvement um, across the board on, uh, on denials, right. On medical records requests, denials on, on funds, uh, on funds recouped or settled. Uh, versus before bringing on an EMR. Wow, that's a huge number. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of money. Oh yeah, no. It, it, what? Anytime I meet someone that is doing uh, that is running their program on paper, I give them a hug and say, "You are amazing." Like I have no <laughs> idea how you do it. Right. I can't. Like you are a hero. You are. I there. I don't know how you do what you do, but it's you know I am in awe of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we mentioned kind of a couple generally, but can we get specific? What are some common pitfalls or pain points that you see when implementing an EMR? Like what should people be thinking of ahead of time to say, okay, I should make sure that I do this so that this doesn't happen to me when we move to this new system? So, I mean, making sure that you have buy-in from your team and, and that leadership is set. The vision, I think, is the number one. Um, the other pitfalls could be not uh, not having vetted the EMR properly, like a lot of people will brush over things that they think are are um, you know it's a lot of times it's the boring stuff, right? It's the compliance. It's making sure that each part of the treatment center or each part of the the EMR has the tools you need to be successful. It's really aligning what, with what your business goals are, right? And I think a big pitfall is, they look at something, they know it's worked for other people, and so they assume it's going to work for them, right? And uh, and 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 so they just kind of move through it without vetting, right? Uh, without vetting properly and without vetting the options on the market, you know, because technology is always changing. And in, in our industry, if you ask anyone in our in industry, hey, is our industry changing? Every single person is going to say, heck yes, right? Changing every day. And so if you, if, if you think that the same thing that's always worked is going to continue to work without vetting alternative options to make sure that you're staying ahead of the game to win, um, I mean, I, you know, I think you're making it 
that's a that's a huge mistake. Well, you know, it's a good point because I mean, I'm sure you guys over at Oliva and everyone else they demo for free, right? And so it's worth taking the time to demo the various options out there. There's not that many for this space, right? You know, that at least focus on it. And so go in, run the demos, have a real discussion, and see what's going to make a good fit, right? It's a huge decision, right? I mean, everything, every every dollar that you make is backed by the record that you keep. And if you do, if you have not pr- gone through the steps to make sure the record that you're going to be keeping, it's kind of like your bank vault for all your dollars. If you're making, if you're not properly going through uh, all the steps to make sure you're making the best decision for your business, there, uh, you could be putting your money in a leaky bank. You know what I mean? And that is going to be incredibly detrimental in the long run. Well, something I liked, you know, we had a previous conversation, and you mentioned that within. Aliva, they you have a system in place where they cannot move forward in a patient's file without the proper documentation. So you kind of have systems, checks and balances set up so that they can't move forward until they put it in. So they can't skip it and you eliminate yep. some of that user error. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just making it, you know, uh, it's just making it, I don't know what the right word is. It's. Uh, idiot proof i guess so there's just no way you can you can do something in a non-compliant way that in a non-insurance compliant way that is going to ding you later on and that's where i look at for any for any system but especially for emr the main value for in, in a business owner's eyes for the emr should be that it is ensuring that when insurance tries not to pay you you always have everything you need to get paid right and that there's nothing they can say uh about the documentation that would ever you know cause them to not pay i mean that's really where i think one of the main values from a business owner that the emr should be should be facilitating along with compliance and 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 being able to meet all the requirements we have just as a business to operate but from a financial perspective so speaking from a hipaa and high tech compliance standpoint i mean can you tell us about some maybe common issues that you see in centers that they aren't doing and that your EMR solves or that center should be at least aware of that most aren't? Yeah. I mean, probably the biggest one is people are emailing and texting all the time all the time, yeah. with each other right. uh, about, about clients, um, uh, about, about what they're doing with clients. Uh, they are, uh, a lot of them will do pre-admission stuff on Skype or FaceTime, which aren't HIPAA compliant. Um, and uh, and so that is where I see some of the biggest biggest pitfalls that people are doing today. And part of the reason they're doing it today is because the system that they're using or the process that they're using doesn't enable them to do it any other way. Um, you know, I have seen some other uh, you know uh, some some centers get around that with other ways, which is which is super awesome using. Sort of some sort of HIPAA compliant communication tools outside of their EMR, which is great. I think that uh, there are ways inside of EMRs to make that easier and 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 more efficient. It's something we're always you know very you know fascinated by and working on. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I mean that's the most egregious one I see <laughs> for yeah, sure. Right, all the time it kills me. I mean even you know we work with the admissions team more. And they'll just be texting each other back and forth about a potential patient. I'm like, you can't put their name and their information in the text, <laughs> you know? 
I mean, yep. it's a it's a five thousand dollar fine per violation, so per text, and like, just a lot of centers don't understand the huge risks that they have in place by their teams doing this. Oh, and as you scale, think about the larger facilities that scale that have ten locations, twenty locations, all those fines added up. I mean, you're you have a massive liability on your business right there by operating that way. Right, and and the part I think also centers don't understand is that you're legally required to report those um, violations. Like it's not like oh you know well we'll see if someone reports us. No, like it's your fault if you didn't report it on your own. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. If they're doing HIPAA training with their with their teams, which they all should be, then their individual team members are required to report that. Right. Right. You know, so it's just a whole thing. Yeah. Well, any other um, issues on the compliance end that you want to bring up? Um, no. Perfect. And how can listeners contact you, Matt? Yeah, uh, they can email uh, Aliva at sales at alivasoft.com. That's A-L-L-E-V-A-S-O-F-T.com. You can find us alivasoft.com is our website. Um, you can call my cell directly. Happy to chat with anyone at any time. 925-951-7472. Shoot me a text or uh, give me a call. I'm always happy to just learn about what the business problems are, the different treatment centers that uh, we work with, what they're looking to, to, what their goals are, what they're trying to accomplish, and see if I can help in any way or provide value. Perfect. Oh, I did have a question I forgot they wanted to ask about. Um, telehealth, you know, you know, is there anything oh, yeah. wrong with telehealth or, you know, things that you recommend or even yeah. things are connecting to the EMR piece? Oh, yeah. I mean, we have we have it built into to Oliva um, into every admission screen, every admission form. You can just click a video button and it shoots the client a text with the with the link and they can come right on and uh, and do a session with you to fill out a form. We have it built into everything we do from individual sessions. It's a one click to start. Um, and, and we did it that way to make it so easy because even I, we found that uh, treatment centers that bring on some sort of third-party telehealth tool um, to try and provide telehealth is not being used because there's too much friction to, to actually use it, right? And if you use it, then you have to, like, then document the programming, you know, back in the EMR. It's, because it's too cumbersome. So it needs to be seamless and frictionless to be able to start and use and with our centers, we have some centers now that have transitioned to exclusively doing telehealth. They don't even do IOP anymore. Um, and they are being Im immensely successful using that model. Um, and, and it is definitely the biggest revenue loser that, I, I guess that's not the right way. Like people are missing out on more revenue not implementing telehealth, especially if they do IOP um, when clients say okay well hey i want to go home i'm ready i feel like i'm done and you say well we could do some more work with you but they're like yeah well i'm ready to go well they have another alternative we could be doing telehealth visits with them and billing for that and that is a huge huge revenue uh missed opportunity that centers are not utilizing today that i think uh could not only be helping them but obviously helping their patients as well that is fascinating so what's the insurance requirement around that? As long as they came to you physically for care or are there other insurance requirements needed? To so the requirement is you have to be licensed in the state where that client reside, is a resident. Um, and so if, for instance, I'm in California, if they come to treatment in California and then go back to wherever they live in California, then I can do telehealth with them. No problem, bill it OP. 
Um, if they go to another state, if I have a clinician licensed in that state, then I can do telehealth with them. If they re- are a resident of California, but they go on vacation to another state, um, but even if it's like a three-month or four-month vacation and are planning on coming back, I can do telehealth with them because they're a resident of California, even if they're in another state. Those are kind of the like compliance requirements that need to be met in order to bill insurance. Um, and so, yeah, our staff is way more knowledgeable than I am on all the regulations. And so they kind of consult and help our clients kind of set that up and set up the rules and, and kind of processes so they can make sure they're doing it the right way. But, but, uh, but yeah, it's to my understanding, that, that's kind of the, the high level. If you know the answer to this one. So you said if there's a clinician licensed in that state, so you're California, you have a clinician that's licensed in, in Minnesota, um, can anyone on your staff deliver that telehealth or does it have to be that particular clinician that's licensed for that state? Ooh, that's a good question. I'd have to ask my, my, one of my training and implementation people, um, the answer to that they would know. Um, I would think it probably would need to be the clinician that's licensed in Minnesota to provide that service, but I am not sure. Huh. It'd be really interesting. Okay. It could be that they could be a sign. It could be that they could be a signer. Maybe it'd be okay for another cl- clinician to provide the work and then just add the Minnesota clinician as a reviewer, and then they can sign off on it and use their license that way. I that might work. I am not sure, so don't quote me on that. <laughs> well, that definitely that's a perfect note to end on. Then really great opportunity there for centers that are running IOP or maybe even want to offer IOP that don't currently offer it. Um, as always to the listeners, we really appreciate you guys taking a moment to come in and hear what we have to say. Recovery Executive Podcast is brought to you by Circle Social Inc., experts in strategic growth and marketing for centers. And you can find this podcast anywhere where podcasts are found. Thank you so much and have a great day.